This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. This podcast is brought to you by Industry, the product conference for product people, held in Cleveland, Ohio on September 11th and 12th, 2015. Here talks from people like our guest today, Richard White, who's the CEO of User Voice, masterclass speakers, including best-selling authors Nur Isle and Trevor Owens, and inspiring talks from people like Mina Radhead Rishkin, the former head of product at Uber. Go to Indsum, I-N-D-S-U-M dot com and use the code Rocketship and get $100 off your ticket today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Steiniger. Today we talked with Richard White, the CEO of User Voice. What'd you guys think? 
This one was great. We talked all about uh, the day-to-day of a product manager and how they can use data and behavioral analytics to craft the direction that the product goes in. Yeah, it's um, it was incredibly insightful to get kind of how they collect their data and how they use it, um, and even how user voice helps with that. Um, but he gave suggestions that you know you, all you need is a spreadsheet um, to do some of this. So um, yeah, absolutely, let's get into it. We're so happy to have Customer IO supporting the show again. We use Customer IO for Hookfeed, and we absolutely love the power it gives us. Customer IO is a data-driven email platform that helps you communicate better with your customers. The kicker is that their powerful rules-based targeting enables you to keep your messages human even as you automate them and scale. Go to customer.io slash rocketship to start sending emails that convert. So I guess give us the the kind of high level of um, user voice. Yeah, I mean, at a very high level, user voice is all about helping you turn customer feedback at a, at a very large scale into something that's manageable, kind of understandable and, and actionable, right? So I think one of the challenges you have is, you know, you get maybe a lot of unsolicited, unorganized feedback mm. about a product or a service. Um, and that's very, I, you know, I, I think feedback is one of the most valuable things you can get, right? And I think it's traditionally one of those things that's kind of under uh, underappreciated, right? Um, you know, you kind of a lot of people take it for granted, but getting a large amounts of customer feedback can be very daunting, right? Well, how do you how do you parse through it, right? right. How do you figure out? You know, I've got ten thousand people talking to me that's not manageable, um, and so our goal from the from the get go has always been how to make kind of a very much a almost a one to many conversation with your customer base manageable, right? So, how are you um, collecting that data, um, or are you facilitating the collection of the data? Yeah, so I mean, the the original kind of inclination of user voice uh, actually came from I, I worked in a Y Combinator company and, and actually shared an office back in the day with Reddit. Oh no! So way. you can almost think of yeah. So you, I'm good friends with the, those guys, and you can almost think of the original kind of mechanic or and our core mechanic for how we get feedback is almost like a, a Reddit for customer feedback. Right? Okay. Um, and you know, the idea is you either have some sort of you know widget or something built into your app, or you just have a standalone site that you're linking to or sending emails driving people towards where there's a simple open-ended question, right? Which is, how do we make this product better? People can submit their feedback. Um, we will try to find feed, see if someone's already submitted something similar, right? So we'll do like a keyword analysis and says like, oh, you're asking for a Jira integration. Okay, looks like someone else has already asked for that. Why don't you just kind of plus one that idea, right? Um, rather than submitting it yourself, right? So the big insight here was that in kind of the modern era, Traditional like surveying tools and like you know ways to do this were always done on a very small scale, like a focus group scale or a couple hundred people, right? How do we open this up where we've been getting feedback? Just you know, I think you should build Jira. I think you should add this feature. I don't like this part of the product. Like, how do we allow that level of feedback from ten thousand, hundred thousand, million folks, right? Wow. Yeah. And the, and rather than trying to solve that algorithmically, which is really hard, right? And the best you can do today with algorithms is kind of like the, these keywords seem to be trending. Um, rather than doing it algorithmically, we try to do it kind of through wisdom of the crowd, right? And say, look, users kind of know, hey, look, if I ask for Jira integration and we do some basic keyword matching, that, oh, yeah, someone said integrate with Jira. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. Let me plus one that, right? And so we, again, Reddit for customer feedback are really relying on users to self-organize this large amount of data. So you as a, as a PM or a, a startup CEO don't, you know, 
don't have to have send out a bunch of surveys. You don't have to have a bunch of customer conversations. You can just go into this one repository and say, oh, wow, there's 500 people that want a Jira integration. Here's all their emails. That's great. Here's how much they spend on my, my product. That's great. Oh, great. I can follow up with them. I, I know that there's a priority. I can prioritize this for my engineering team. So how do you use that at User Voice? How does it drive the, the product direction? Yeah, so a lot of how we think about you know, uh, product management is almost like portfolio management. Uh, from like finance, right? Where it's like when you think about, and I think this, I think this, this concept varies a lot depending upon the stage of company, right? Um, and the idea is like if you think about it from portfolio management in terms of uh, instead of investing in certain stocks or bonds, you're investing in certain functionality, right? Um, and so there's always this mix of functionality you're investing in, which is kind of iterative improvements, and you've got things which are just kind of like big innovation pieces, right? And early on in a company you're going to focus a lot on big innovation things, right? Like you're not going to be doing small, minor iterations. You're going to be doing, we're going to launch this big, you know, this big feature. We don't have a lot of data on it, um, but our gut tells us what we have to do. But the more you mature, the more you start kind of balancing towards, okay, we need a mix of both, right? We need kind of, you know, high risk, but high reward bets. We also need a lot of low risk, but low reward bets, right? So things which like, these are improvements. These are things that I know my customers want. I can quantify the demand, um, and I can quantify the cost to build it, right? And the larger the company you get, the more you shift over to those iterative improvements and less of the giant innovation ones. And so where user voice becomes most valuable is on those iterative, iterative improvements. Um, and, you know, you know, it's like I said, the classic, the classic kind of criticism leveled at user feedback is, you know, this is user feedback. You would have ended up with a faster horse and not a car, right? And so that's there's always room for innovation, right? Um, but there's a lot of room for for iterative improvement, especially in the product landscape today, where you know the differentiators between you know the the number one product in any segment and the number two product. In my opinion, is usually in the last mile of the product. It's the last ten percent of product, right? The difference between you know Android and iOS. Most people say it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, they're 90% the same product, right? Um, and so the way we think about using this data is helping us quantify what are the most important iterative improvements we could be doing, right? Um, and like I said, the larger the product and the more mature the, the, the product, the more valuable that becomes. You know, if you're, uh, you know, an Xbox, which is a customer of ours, you know, knowing what the, what the next iterative improvement should be, with a customer base as large as they have, you know, if we know that this is going to make things 10% better, that's, that's massive, right? Um, so that's, that's how we think about that. So for someone like managing a project or building a product, um, where does that gut instinct fit in um, to this kind of data analysis of what features and how much these features could be potentially worth? Um, how, do you, how do you recommend balancing that? Yeah, and like I said, I, I think it's a, it's, there's definitely a continuum, right? You definitely have more, have to do more gut in the beginning of, of a company than, than later on, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, we're testing, we're, we're, we've rolled out kind of new functionality, which allows us to kind of put gut instinct alongside tested feedback. Um, we call it smart vote and allows you to say, all right, well, let's take the top five things from the community. Let's take the, the top five ideas I have and let's go run a kind of an in-app survey Right, testing which concepts most resonate with your users, right? So, so that's one way to kind of put gut alongside data. I, you know, I think though, in, in the broader perspective here, um, you know, I'm going to draw an analogy to marketing, which we do a lot, right? So, if you look back at, you know, think of think of what we're doing here, or or how we're thinking about product is is trying to revolutionize product in the same way that marketing automation has kind of revolutionized marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go back 20 years, how do we make marketing decisions? What ads do we run, et cetera, et cetera? You, know, you get a couple people in a room and you have some sort of Mad Men style 
conversation, right? And you know, the most persuasive argument wins, and that's the ad campaign we run, right? Um, and so it was all art and really very little science. You know, now we look at marketing, and you know, you, my my head of marketing has an engineering background, right? Right. And you know, a lot of it is there's still certainly room for 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 art, right, and creativity and high risk, high reward campaigns and and things like that. But there's still but there's science to back it up, or at least test it on the when it comes out the other end and say, yeah, that did work or not, right? And I think that analogy applies very well to product. How do product decisions get made today? In large part, from folks I've talked to, you know, nine out of ten times, it's it's the same thing as marketing twenty years ago. We get a number of people in a room, and we all come with our own biases and stories from customers and some data, and we argue it out right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. until you know one of us wins. Right? <laughs> and so I think I think the 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 goal for product management and, and you know product decisions just at a high level are to get to a point where. There's always going to be room for, for, for art and for gut, just like there is in marketing and any other discipline, but it can't be 98% of what that discipline is. Right. right. And so we at least want to put it alongside or do some, some ways to accept and test this before we start building, some ways to start actually testing, you know, testing or, or doing retrospectives on, okay, did that high risk, high reward thing work or, was it, or were we more better served by the, you know, the plethora of smaller kind of iterative improvements we did? Mm. So when we're looking at a product, right, you kind of you mentioned before the general question of how do we make this better and collecting the, the responses to it. What other kinds of data can we be looking for um, when we're, we're looking at kind of product improvements and type of questions that we should be asking? Yeah, I mean, when I think about the, you know, you know our space is pretty new. When I think about the, my, my vision for the, you know, the, the tool set of the future for PMs, right, there's, there's really kind of two sides of that coin, right? One is one I think we're all probably most familiar with, which is kind of the behavioral analytics side, right? So we've got, you know, in-depth behavioral analytics to tell us, you know, what parts of the product are being used, which parts are not. Um, you know, it allows us at a very low level to debug, you know, where are we losing people in a sp- specific workflow? Um, but it doesn't necessarily tell us, you know, why that part of the product isn't being used or why we're losing people in that workflow. And a lot of, you know, the why, it, you know, you can t- figure some of it out through anal- behavioral analytics, but a lot of it you need to talk to people. Why did you stop, you know, why did you stop here, right? Why don't you use this, this whole, you know, this area of our product? Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is the, the big kind of untapped, you know, uh, market, right, that, that we're kind of going after, which is, you know, a lot of what PMs spend time doing is talking to customers, talking to other people that talk to customers, like support or sales, or customer success, right? And you spend a lot of time getting lots of stories, right? Uh, beta customers, customer advisory boards. There's a lot of qualitative, you know, uh, you know, feedback in 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 the data set a PM uses on a daily basis. Um, and it's not in a system like it's you know usually in Excel. Some people build it out in Salesforce. Maybe you're really sophisticated and you have some engineers working for you and you build it out some BI tools to track it. But by and large, you, you know, in fact, we ran a survey and found that four out of five PMs don't have a good process for doing this, right? And so what I look at is, you know, the data set I think is really interesting is who are all my users? What do I know about them? What segments do they represent? You know, how loyal are they? How satisfied are they? Um, what, what do they spend with me? And then what are all the things I could build? How much would it cost to build those things? And like, what is the intersection between the two, right? Do I have 50,000 people that want me to build this thing that takes 10-man months? Should I build that over the thing that I've got 20,000 people that yeah, costs 20-man months, right? And so, and then having that integrated behavioral analytics. So I think there's just a, you know, there's a lot of, you know, 
the last five, 10 years, there's an explosion of data. And so there's more feedback coming at PMs and product companies than ever. And there's just not a good place for it to go. And we're still figuring out how to marry it up to behavioral analytics and all these other things. Um, but to me, that's kind of like the, the holy grail there is like to have a system that correlates all these things well together, right? Okay, cool. People aren't using this side of the product. Wow, look, I can see that one of the, the top, you know, qualitative things we're hearing through my sales team and directly from customers about this area of the product is X, Y, and Z. Oh, that explains the drop-off. Okay, let's go build that thing. And then let's go test to see if those things, like let's go then look back at our behavior analytics and see that after building those things, did we see adoption increase? Great, awesome, right? So do you have any kind of techniques or ways that you frame collecting that feedback so that uh, you're really understanding what people are, what problem people are trying to solve instead of just features that they're shouting out? You know, when we're talking about gathering feedback, the process we look at is, you know, we're going to get feedback from, you know, we're not going to get feedback from 50% of people. We're going to get it from your most engaged audience, right? You know, a group of somewhere between 5 and 20%, right? They are like your power users. They know how to articulate the gaps in your product. In fact, they can usually articulate them very well, right? And, and, and they articulate them in a way from a user perspective that makes it easy for other users to glom onto it and understand it and say, yeah, that's, that's my problem too. So I, I want to take a little bit of umbrage with kind of the users don't know what they want, right? Um, you know, I think there's a, a case to be fed for one of the things we try to do in a pipeline is, all right, cool, you know, here's the top things coming from your users, rep- recognizing that they are kind of the power users. Let's then take it to the second stage of the funnel and vet those concepts with a more casual set of users, right? Right. Um, because people don't always know how, to, like, the, the, your average customer may not know or may not really take the time to articulate why they don't use a part of your product or how it could be better. But they, if given a choice between A and B, they can validate, right? Like, so, you know, what we know, and again, this is kind of drawing on just warnings, you know, kind of common about user-generated content. It's hard to get people to create open-ended content. It's easier to get them to vet it, right? So there's one of our strategies is let's leverage the, the more engaged folks to give us the content. Let's then vet it with more casual users. That's one. The other practice, though, is I think it's about how you frame the question. Um, so, and how you iterate kind of the response, right? Mm-hmm. So one is we frame the question in a positive way, right? We try like, how could this be better? Right? Like I think as opposed to what's wrong, right? And so you do get people kind of talking about solutions, right? More than problems, but that's how people think anyways, right? So the other classic criticism is people are going to make up solutions. So there is a part where you need to read the tea leaves and say, gosh, people are asking me for, for functionality that does X, but I, as the PM need to like, I need to read the tea leaves and realize this is because of problem Y, right? Mm. And that's where, you know, being there, there is still the role of the, the expert PM, right? The good news is the problem you had in the past was you get 10,000 emails saying, I wish you guys had feature X. And you're like, uh, okay, I think it's because of problem Y and I think a better solution is Z, right? But you, you don't know where to go from there. In this case, at least we know here's the 10,000 people that actually said they had or think that, you know, solution X is the right solution. You know, why don't you email them back and say, hey, guys, we're working on this. We think this solves the problem with this. Is this like, you know what I mean? Like, part of this is we're not trying to be perfect. We're trying to give you a good initial first signal and then give you access to the right people so you can refine that, refine that quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the products I worked on you know, that was actually the, the genesis for the whole user voice idea came out as Y Combinator experience many years ago. And, and I remember just I personally read lots of emails and lots of message board posts. And just kind of mentally, like, you know, I read lots of customer feedback and I'd bring it to our engineering meetings. And I remember being like, guys, 
know, the number one problem we have is, is we need better time zone support. And we were like a, a Google Calendar kind of competitor. And we argued about it for 45 minutes. And eventually we were like, we don't know which one of these three options works better. And one of the engineers was like, why don't you just ask the people that want this? <laughs> right. Which one of these three ideas would be better? And I was like, that's a brilliant idea. I was like, but I don't have 10 hours a day to build that spreadsheet, right? And so, you know, I, I think the, that's why classically we get really hung up on, well, you can't trust what users say. Uh, I think you can more than you could 10, 20 years ago, but I think you can always go back to the well and say, hey, did you mean A or B? Right. Or what do you think about solution C or D, right? Yeah, no, it's very true. So we've talked a bit about analytics and, and data collection. Um, I'm wondering if you kind of break down the difference so that we know kind of what we're, we're looking at um, when, when we're talking about like Google Analytics versus user data. Yeah, I mean... Th- I break it down into like behavioral analytics, right? So, mm. you know, data about behaviors, right? Which are not like, you can kind of, you can segment them by customer segments, but they're relatively anonymized, right? Um, versus qualitative feedback, right? Which, um, yeah, I, which when you have enough of it, you can put quantitative measures around that too, right? I think the challenging thing people have with qualitative data as opposed to quantitative data like behavioral analytics is like, you know, it's hard to read 10,000 emails and then come to a conclusion, right? Um, and so the key thing with, you know, the problem is I think your best data in terms of, you know, where are, where's their smoke, right? Um, or is there potentially a fire that I need to be putting out my product comes in the form of qualitative, right? Mm-hmm. It's very hard to kind of search that needle in the haystack sometimes in behavioral stuff. Um, the challenge is, like I said, is that by nature, qualitative is qualitative, right? You have to just read it, right? It doesn't naturally come to you in a nice aggregated, you know, you know, number that says, "Oh yes, this is the thing." Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I think the challenge, you know, whether you're using my user voice or whether you're building your own system, which I've known people to do, you know, at lower volumes, I've known people to like build their own system in Salesforce to basically literally say every time there's a, a sales, you know, sales closes a deal, they have to like or or loses a deal, they have to like link, they have to find the three reasons they lost that deal, and they need to like write that into the into the opportunity, right? And I and they have to link it back into a bigger system. Like I built some system that allows us to put me to put numbers around, you know qualitative feedback, right? Yep. And to me, the, the set of data you need as a PM, like I said, is that, you know, is that data set of customers intersected with potential functionality um, alongside kind of the behavioral stuff, which helps you further validate it down the line. If you want to become a better PM, um, do you have any way that you can go and learn about this? Are there any good resources that you find yourself referencing over and over? Uh, I, yeah. My marketing people will kill me if I don't uh, self-promote our own blog, which okay. has actually a lot of great, which has a lot of great product uh, product management content. Uh, it actually is co- good content. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't bullshit you guys if it wasn't. Um, there's there's a couple conferences that are pretty good. Um, uh, the Mind the Product conference is pretty good. I'm actually speaking at another conference in Cleveland called Industry in September, which is pretty good. Um, you know, it's I, you know going back to I think I mentioned this earlier. We ran the survey and found that like four out of five PMs don't have a good process for this. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of speaks to the fact that you know yes, there's a real lack of of education and, and best practices out there, right? Um, and what's out there, I think in a lot of in a lot of places, evolved from a previous era and maybe isn't as relevant as it once was, right? Um, the the conferences I just mentioned and, and our blog and, and a few other folks, you know, have stuff that I think is more modern, uh, you know, from the trenches of, you know, modern product teams, yep. um, as opposed to more like waterfall-ish, slower moving CPG and, 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 you know, uh, yeah, 
product development has changed a lot in the last 10 years, as has customer interaction and, you know, processes that worked 20 years ago, not as reliant today or reliable today. Um, so those would be my best, that would be my best recommendations. Like I said, I, I wish I could provide, I wish I could provide more. It's one of our goals going forward to actually, you know, uh, find, find this data wherever it is, wherever we find smart PMs and that have kind of figured out a lot of these things on their own to kind of surface that on our blog. Well, awesome. So where do we, obviously, um, we want to, to link to the blog, but where do we keep up with you and user voice, um, online? Yeah, the best is our, is our blog. It's uh, community.uservoice.com. Um, and you'll see, actually, we've got, we've got topics on product management and also customer care. Um, one of the reasons we have that is because a lot of the interesting content, too, is also how to get data out of those teams, how to get data out of your sales team, your support team, mm-hmm. as well as direct from your customers. Um, you know, obviously, in, in certain environments, right? Like that's that's a lot of source of feedback too. But that's a that's a whole other twenty minute segment just to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, go to our blog, uh, community.uservoice.com. That's the best place to keep up with us. Um, cool. I'm banned. I'm not allowed on Twitter anymore. So why uh, why are you banned from Twitter? Uh, why is why is anyone banned from Twitter anymore? Right? I don't know. Uh, it's no longer a great place to have very honest conversations because it's hard to have an honest conversation, 140 characters, without pissing someone off. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's a story there, but maybe another time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, uh, I'm going to keep blaming marketing for everything. Marketing would not be happy if I told this story. <laughs> so marketing shut you down. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for joining us on here. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And be sure to check out our app discount section where we have discounts on products that we use every day, like Woo Themes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today.